And so, you know, my, my dad also along the way managed to father 23 children. So I'm one of 23. Uh, so that's when I came into the world. And, I mean, I'm, I'm 50 now. I was born in 1971. I don't have to tell uh, the, the, the listeners who were alive during that time period. Uh, being mixed race in, in the 70s, ho oh, oh, not a good look. You know, black people didn't like me because I was half white. White people didn't like me because I was half black. And you, you, you run into this identity crisis. You're trying to be accepted. You're trying to be welcomed. You're trying to belong. Uh, and, and all the while, you're just you're, you're floundering. So, you know, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I, I didn't want to be uh, half white. There were times I didn't want to be half black. You know, I was like, damn, can I be one or the other? And but, you know, it wasn't the case. So growing up, you know, a, a pregnant prostitute is no good to a pimp. So my dad pretty much, you know, washed his hands of us. And, and, and I would see him, you know, three, four times a month, maybe if he came and picked me up, if he followed through. But my mom and I, we, we grew up poor. You know, I call it U.S. poor, American poor, because there's a big damn difference between growing up poor in this country and somewhere else. Growing and, up poor in the U.S. is privileged, possibly, oh, in other my third world gosh. countries. Yes, exactly. So You had, yeah, you I, had electricity. We yeah, had well, well, not, well, actually, we didn't. Maybe all the time. Didn't <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I was, yeah. I was hesitating before saying that. Actually, no. There were times we didn't have water. We didn't have electricity. You know, I, I will say we had a roof over our heads, but we right. we didn't have always have uh, water, electricity, or food. I, I always make the joke. My my mom and I never had these four things at the same time: money, food, electricity, or water. We were always missing one or two of those things, man. Um, teach but, you how, teaches you how to juggle things, I guess, and balance oh, different things in life. <laughs> man, and notice I didn't even bother putting telephone on there. That was a, that was the ultimate luxury, you know. There's no telephone. Um, but yeah, I, I, I grew up poor, man. I, I was in and out of juvenile prison uh, three different times, and, and I'm very specific when I say this: juvenile prison. People have to stop saying juvie and juvenile detention. They're they're, they're trying to make it less than what it is. Man, it's prison for kids. The only difference is you're under 18. That is it. But it is prison. And you know, I was in and out of there. I was sexually molested by one of my dad's prostitutes at the ages of six, seven, eight years old. She used to force me to perform oral sex on her. Um, if I didn't do it right, she'd smack me in the face, punch me in the head, tell me to do it right. Um, I, man, I was abandoned with three of my half brothers and sisters for three weeks in a house. No one knew we were there. February, Dayton, Ohio. I was supposed to be in school. No one came looking for us. No one knew we were there. I'd go down to the store, steal food and, and bring it back. So my, my brothers and sisters could, could eat. When I got reunited with my mother at the age of 15, um, she took me to school to register so I'm 15. I'm supposed to be a sophomore in high school. And they're registering me for these classes. <laughs> and the counselor says a word that I had never heard before. She goes, okay, you're supposed to be in geometry. Man, I had never heard the word before, let alone know what it was. <laughs> and so I get into these classes. Six weeks later, I got all D's and F's. They figure, okay, this kid's not too bright. My mom takes me and, and has me tested. I'm testing on a fifth and sixth grade level. Uh, needless to say, my senior year rolls around. I don't have enough credits. I don't graduate. I end up having to get my GED during summer school. Um, never went to college. Here I am. 
And here you are, just to make sure people realize who you are as well. And then we'll go into <laughs> success because this is not the success. But just to say, the CEO of Scribe, a, a top publishing company, uh, former president of, of a software business, ranked as the number one CEO in the U.S. by a publication, uh, top culture builder in an organization, author of two books, including most recent book. Okay, success. Walk me through it. Give me, right. give me your definition right here because I'm honestly I'm dying to hear it. I really am. So so you know it, it, in between everything that I just shared, when I was ten years old, my my dad had decided to take the pimp game down to Houston, Texas, and on one occasion, my dad was driving me through a an ultra um, affluent neighborhood called River Oaks. And, you know, 10, 15, $25 million homes. And he didn't say anything. You know, I don't know if he was driving through there for himself or if he was driving through there to show me, but, you know, no words were spoken. But what it did is, is it showed me possibility. And it, I had never seen homes that, that big. I didn't even know things like that existed. So it showed me what was possible. And, and, and herein lies part of the blessing that I've looked back up on and, and realized if you're born into a two-parent home, you're, you're middle class, upper middle class, and, and maybe both your parents went to college and, and maybe they both work or maybe one stays home, whatever the case may be, you, you start to develop what you're around and you see, okay, so here's the routine. Uh, go to school, get good grades, go to college, buy a home, three bedroom, two and a half bath, make a little bit more money, buy a bigger house, go on two, two week vacation. So the beauty for me was I never saw the middle class. I was uh, American poor and, and knew what it was like to live in poverty, to not have food. And at 10 years old, I got introduced to 10, $15 million homes that one family lived in. The beauty in that is I never knew what the middle class looked like. So I just went from, okay, I'm poor. I want to have one of those one day. I didn't know how. I didn't know what I was going to do to get it. But that became the mission. I wanted one of those big homes. But why, so I was you think you, but why do you think you had that mission? When I wonder if your 22 other siblings, let's say, would have seen those homes and they didn't say, I want that. Um, th think of it this way. You know, we, we can speak right now. I, man, I really appreciate that question because I've, I've been high on this lately. It's really bothered yeah. me. So think about this right now. This, this is going on right now, current, this, this very minute moment. If you live in Chicago on the south side or west side. Chicago is so bad right now, it's been nicknamed Chirac. So if I'm a five-year-old five, five -year -old kid up to the age of maybe 15, 16 years old, and every day I'm seeing murders, shootings, uh, incarceration, poverty, uh, drug use, and, and this is what I'm seeing every day, think about how basic this is right here. Where does a kid learn growing up in that that they could one day be a forest ranger. I mean, if it th think about this, a forest ranger. The, the average starting salary for a forest ranger is about $40,000 a year. But if I'm growing up in Chirac, I don't even know that a, a career out in nature with trees, fresh air, I don't even know that exists 
So the problem that you have, and to, to your point, is how am I supposed to aspire to become something when I don't even know what's possible or available to me? So when, when you say that, what, what the big difference was for me is I actually got to see those houses. Um, and and I'll, I'll take it a step further, man. Th think of this. If you're a 13-year-old little girl and you're living in a low-income community, uh, public housing, and you live with your grandmother who had four kids by three different men, and your mother lives in the same apartment, and your mother had five kids, four different men. What do you think is going to happen to the 13-year-old little girl? So so the, the, the problem that you see with a lot of uh, individuals in the low-income communities is we just don't know what's possible. And, and right. that becomes a major uh, roadblock. You know, people can say, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Man, I, I had holes in my shining right. hat. That doesn't help. Right, right. And, and think about it. I got to have boots to pull myself up by the bootstraps. I didn't even have boots, man. So so I think it's a bullshit comment when I hear stuff like yes, that. Yes, I hate it too. I because it. how am I supposed to aspire to become something when I don't even know what's possible? There's something around the resilience that you had um, that you may not want to admit up to, but but it, it's it's that that was truly unique and special. I, you know, it, it, it's taken me years. I, I always had this b belief that I, I, I did it. I'm, I'm not special. Other other people can do it. Okay. So over the years, and I'd say probably within the last four or five, I've taken a little bit of ownership. So okay, maybe there is a little something different uh, uh, about me. But again, I, I, I got to keep coming back to to this point of it. So so I um, uh, mentor. Uh, high risk youth, and so uh, the, these youth are coming from the 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 juvenile prison system to the halfway house back into society. So I go in and I ask these boys. I said, "Okay, tell me the difference between rich and wealthy." And and they kind of looked at me like, "Well, what what's the difference?" And, and I said to them, "I can spend rich." You can't spend wealth because mm. wealth is generational. Mm. And again, they, they didn't know the difference. So then we, we went a level deeper. Watch this. I said, okay, tell me who you all think is wealthy. And of course, you hear Little Wayne, you hear Drake, you hear, you know, uh, you get a LeBron in there. And I said, okay, let's go with Drake because everybody here knows who Drake is. Great. I said, on Drake's best day, and I'm probably giving him a few extra hundred million when I say this, but on Drake's best day, he's worth $600 million. I said, you know, nothing to sneeze at, a lot of money. I go, but, and we're, we're here in Austin. I said, how many of you know who Michael Dell is? Because he's here, Dell Computers is here. So some of them knew. I said, well, let me explain this to you. Michael Dell is worth $53.6 billion. Drake is the 0.6 in his wealth. I go, so when you're going to think, think big, mm. because it takes the same amount of effort to think small as it does to think big. But the, again, the problem is no one's explained that to them. No mm. one, you, you see Drake and like entertainers, rappers, athletes, and, and let's, let's really boil that down. Man, the, the percentages of people who will be a, a rapper, uh, an athlete, and, and I don't want to step on anybody's dream. Go go get your dream. Do everything you have to do to get your dream. However, no one told us, no one told me 
the power of entrepreneurship. No one said that I could be an executive. And the percentages are so much greater and in your favor to be successful in business than it is as an athlete. Patrick Mahomes, quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. He signed a 10-year $450 million contract. And everybody's, oh my God, you have a 450. So many people are blown away when they they hear that. What I look at is okay, there's 53 players on the team. So his contracts for 450 million. So there's 52 other players that are also making millions or or at least a half a million dollars a year for league minimum. Who's paying that payroll? Because that would be the owner. I want to focus on the owner and what money they're making because they're making money off the stadium concessions. When games aren't even playing, they're still making money from concerts and everything else because they own the stadium. That's what I want to focus on. I love it. And so important to educate, especially in poorer urban environments uh, around the power of business and entrepreneurship to really lift so many people up. Okay. We're going to get back to success still because <laughs> I, I I understand the spark of it was seeing those homes. That sparked yeah. it. That sparked it. But but that's not your definition. That, what is um, the definition? My, my definition for me was, was um, and, and, and I have actually all three. Um, I am healthy. Um, I am happy. I, I tell people all the time, you know, you, you, you'll hear people say this. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find happiness. I, I can't find happiness. Well, do you know why? Because the shit's not hiding from you. Stop looking. It, it, you know, I can't find it. It's not hiding. It's not around the corner. You have to go create happiness. And so when I hear people say it, I'm like, listen to what you're saying. I can't find happiness because it's not lost. Right. It's not gonna, It's not going to poof out of the sky and be like, right. I got it. I caught the happiness. Yes, it, now I'm happy. It showed up last night. You know, Ooh, no. I was waiting. I was waiting. I knew if I stayed up till 3 a.m. watching reruns of, you know, of I love Lucy, I get happiness. Exactly. So, so okay. I am so healthy, health, happiness, happiness, and I am I'm financially well off. Uh, right. A lot of my definition did come by way of wanting to succeed in business, wanting to be financially successful. Um, I am incredibly uh, blessed now. I live in a gated community. My kids go to private Christian school. We're able to go to Disney World and have a, a, a private tour guide. And, you know, I, I come from, you know, again, from the U.S., I come from nothing. I, I know what it's like to pull uh, a half-eaten cheeseburger out of the trash and, and then take some of the fries to put in your pocket. So that night when you're laying in bed, you can eat some of those cold fries because you know there's no food at home. So so I don't say, you know, uh, you know, the gated community and the, the I don't say that out of arrogance. I have worked my ass off to to. Um, be able to have those things for, for myself, my, my family. So for me, yeah, I, I have definitely hit my definition of success. Wonderful wife. Matter of fact, today, oh man, today's my, uh, 10 year anniversary. Um, Yeah, man. Uh, Congratulations. I appreciate it. What's, what's very, you know, but I always share my mistakes. Here's what's key to this. I'm 50 years old. This is the first healthy relationship I've ever had, man. You know, the number of people that I know that had a first relationship and it didn't work out, but changed as a person and then are with a person and it's an amazing relationship. It's such a key criteria. Is that the case for you or you would not say that's the case? Um, 
Here's what, what happened with, with me. There, there is some truth into to what you said there, but really what happened to me is when, when I had made some, uh, some good money and then I lost it all and I was broke. Right. You know, that so was in the mortgage, mortgage, yeah, mortgage days? Okay. And, and so 2007, I'm broke. All the money I made gone. And so, matter of fact, I always make the joke I was negative broke because I, I, uh, I had to borrow money from my stepdad. <laughs> uh, but what was key is I, I had a conversation out loud with myself in the mirror, not this, you know, talking to myself in, in my head out loud. And I had to look at myself in the mirror and I say, man, you, you're just like your dad. You know, and I, I could not, I didn't respect women. I was a monster in relationships. I was so uh, just derogatory. I mean, you had no model. I mean, you had absolutely no well, model to look for. And, and, and I realized that. And I said to myself, okay, how did this happen? And I was like, well, my dad was a pimp. I saw how he treated women. Well, my mom, I never saw anyone re respect my mom. Now, here was the key in that moment. So many people, especially in this country right now, then want to fall back and say, oh, well, it, you know, no, I didn't have any examples and it wasn't my fault. So for me, I said, nope, here's why. Now, what are you going to do? Because right. it, there's no blame. You know, that right. that's what I was born into. OK, so right. but it is up to me now to right. change and go to where I want to go. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't you know, I do... think something something about you, Javon, which really is incredible is there are some people that have a strong external locus of control and other people with a strong internal locus of control. You're like an extremist, I think, in a good way, when it comes to like internal locus of control. Like I can control my health. I'm going to wake up at freaking 3.45 a.m. I'm not saying this is not David Siegel. This is Javon. You wake up at 3.45 a.m., which is incredible, you know, to work out. You're going to control your health. You're, you're going to do everything that you possibly can to control and facilitate your happiness. You can't control everything. We all know that. Yep. Man plans, God laughs, but you do everything you can to help to directly influence things. Man, I, I live by this control what you can, because you're, because you're right. We, we, you can't control everything. And at the end of the day, none of us are really in control, but control what you can. I can control getting up every day at three forty-five and going to the gym. I can control that when the alarm goes off. And, and, and here's really what I, I, it hit me. I don't know, maybe back in my twenties, Life is really choices in, in, in you every day. It, it starts with the first thing. When you wake up, you have a choice. Am I going to wake up positive or am I going to wake up negative? I don't care if you're on death row. You have a choice when you wake up on how you're going to see the day. And so what I figured out is, okay, it is up to me to choose how I'm going to approach everything. Am I going to go all out? Am I, am I going to go all in? Am I going to be negative and, and, and see the world from a negative perspective? Or am I going to see the greatness uh, uh, of the world? Even now, man, I turn on the lights at home to this day. I smile because I'm like, uh, there, was a, there was a time period where I turn on the, the flip the switch and turn on. It was funny. My first home that we lived in for the first 10 years was a ranch. It was a small, you know, small ranch house. And, you know, for a long, long time, for many years, every time I walked up the stairs, I felt happiness. I was like, I have more bedrooms. I have more space. And it just gave me that happiness. And I think part of that was also that I feel like I, I created it. It wasn't yeah. like my parents gave me the money. They didn't give me, I created it. You know, when, when I graduated from, from, from college, my parents were like, that's it. You're off. And I haven't gotten, you know, any money from my parents really since then. 
And that was very important to my definition for me of happiness, um, you know, being able to do that. So I love your three areas, health, happiness. For me, I'll just share in case you're, you're remotely interested, maybe our listeners are. My one statement on success is finding joy in, the day, in your day-to-day life while still setting yourself up for long-term, medium to long-term happiness. Because if, you, if, if you're always waiting to find ha- happiness in the future, that's not good. No. But, and if you're just looking at hedonistic life and just joy in this second, joy in that second, that's not good. But you need to have that joy day to day. And to me, that the amount of time that you're able to do that, that to me is successful. And anyone can define joy however they want. Anyone can define medium to long-term happiness in the way they want. But I happen to be a big, like, you know, health is a subset of happiness. Wealth is a subset of happiness. Um, and, I, and I just love all the work that, that, that you know, you've been doing in, in, in helping so many people. Man, I'm telling you, choices and and health. Think think about it. I I just heard this phrase about three weeks ago. Man, it is it is so true. And maybe it just hits you more when you you know I'm I'm 50 now, and maybe it just hit me different. But it said the healthy person has many desires, the sick person has one. And I was like, oh shit, that's the truth. And and it really hit me like because I am healthy. I'm able to have many desires, but, but if I've got stage three cancers, uh, cancer, and I've, I've got three child, young children that like, I got one desire, get healthy so I can be here for my, my family. And that man, that just spoke volumes to me. Beautiful. That, okay. If I've got my health, man, everything else is, is, is my choice to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? And Javon, when you say health, I think both physical health and also mental health. I think they're yep. both, and I think they're incredibly related. You know, I remember hearing a therapist talking and he said, you know, before I give uh, prescriptions to someone, I'm not saying people shouldn't have prescriptions, by the way, I say, take up running, take up going to the gym, start exercising. The, you know, the, the natural chemicals that happen in one's body when you're yeah. able to take care of yourself physically has tremendous value in all other aspects of life. Huge, huge man. Um, it, it, it's it, and it's interesting too. You, you look at our 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 society right now, our country. Um, you know, we say mental health, and most people, when they hear the term, think of it in a negative perspective. Oh, my my mental health right now. Oh, I need a mental health day off. And and it, it's it's got a, a hint of negative uh, tone to it. Right, like and what yeah. I what I find interesting is. You take the word mental off the front and you just say health. Everyone thinks of positives, being in shape, being in. And, and so that it's mind blowing to me because mental health is also a positive. You, you can mentally um, put yourself in a negative mental health state by constantly worrying about shit you can't control uh, being negatively influenced by continuously watching the the, the news. Uh, e- even this, this one really irritates me. You'll, you'll hear people bitch and complain that they aren't where they want to be in their career. But you'll hear some of these same people tell you that they binge watched Game of Thrones Friday through Sunday, never left the house ordered DoorDash and, and watched, you know, uh, episodes one through 38. And I sit there and I say to myself, okay, when's the last time you heard anyone say, 
man, we binge watched uh, our 401k all weekend and, and how we're going to retire and our investment strategy. You don't hear that, but you hear that someone, what do you get at the end of Game of Thrones? Not a damn thing. And, and so they wake up or, you know, six o'clock Sunday night, they're pissed. They don't like their career. I don't want to go to work, uh, you know, and they start blaming other things. And my last piece on this, you know, we've got 115 people within our company and everyone knows this. Do not dare ever say, thank God it's Friday, because mm-hmm. if you're trading two for five, you got to go. You're, nice. you're clearly not happy. You so, better, you got to live for your day to day, not just the weekends. You're the Thank weekend God it's warrior. Friday? Oh, That's terrible. horrible. Thank God it's Tuesday. Thank God you woke up this morning. <laughs> and, and so uh, it, it's just amazing how we uh, as people and humans will, will look at, at different aspects of, of our lives and, and won't take responsibility, don't realize there are choices. You, you'll hear people say, oh, I want to lose 30 pounds. I've tried everything. No, you haven't. Because if you had tried everything, you would already lost 30 pounds. And so it's it's it the, the shit that you people tell themselves if you want to lose 30 pounds, that's going to take about three, three and a half months of consistent eating habits of going to the gym and exercising. And people say, well, I don't have time. But again, they're going to watch the the sitcom that's on TV. They're going to watch Netflix. Well, guess what? Even if you don't go to the gym. Take 30 minutes in your living room, do jumping jacks, push-ups, sit-ups, whatever, and th- there, there's your exercise. So, so Javon, is the issue, Javon, is the issue in your mind more an issue of people don't know the goals and how, how to achieve those goals, or they know how to oftentimes, but they lack the discipline to be able to go and take it? I know what the answer is both, of course, but yeah. if you have to say where, what's the greater ill that you've seen in your in your experience is it is it the not knowing the how or not having the discipline to do the to do, to do the how so i i appreciate you 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 saying it it sometimes it's both because there truly is a piece of this where um let, let, let let's focus first on low income communities if you don't if you know what a food desert is because there's no grocery stores with, within your community how the hell are you going to know what organic food is and, and eating healthy when right. the only thing that's in your community are liquor stores, pawn shops, check cash and, and convenience stores in the, in the dollar store? So you're just in, in fast food, empty calories, empty calories. And, and so you don't even know what healthy eating habits are. So there, there, are, there is a component there. But in our country, the, the greater piece of our country is the middle class. If you can get on your phone and watch, it, the, the average person spends over two hours, it's, it's almost three hours a day on social media. If you can do that shit for three hours a day, you can figure out what eating, how, healthy eating habits are. You can right. figure out what to do. So so if, if, if you're one of those folks that fall in the middle class, lower to, to upper, no excuses. That, that there is responsibility, mm-hmm. discipline, mm-hmm. routine, consistency. And, and so uh, again, so many people don't want to take responsibility. They blame it. Well, I've got children. Oh, well, you know, I, I, I work 50 hours a week. And, and, and again, people don't want to hear this. They get mad at me. think I'm an arrogant asshole when I say this. I got four kids. I, I you know, I have the honor to serve and support our, our company. And, and so I've got children. 
I, I have a, I work 50, 60 hours a week, but we all have the same 24. Where, where are you going to find that time to, to work out or where are you going to find the time to make sure you have the, the eating habits? And man, here's the key because I always share my mistakes. Just like I said, I, I couldn't hold a relationship. Uh, at my height, I was 297 pounds. Wow. And, wow. and I didn't, I wow. didn't blame anybody, man. You know, I chose, by the way, for those, for those listening and not on the video, he is definitely not 297 pounds now, <laughs> just in case you're wondering. That's incredible. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, it's funny. You say, so now I, I'm uh, 208, so I'm 208 pounds. And, but here's the key, man. I chose to go to the drive through I chose to eat the Doritos. I chose to keep eating a, a whole half of a sheet cake. And, and I didn't blame anyone. I, that was me. No one forced me to pick up the fork and eat. And so many people will sit there and, and make excuses. And, and they're like, I'm not giving excuses. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the reasons. Reasons is a nice word for excuses. And, and so um, take, take accountability. Take responsibility for your actions. And, and, and it sucks. In our, in our country, it, it's like those two words. No one wants to talk about that. Well, I could certainly see why you and David Goggins get along so well. Just so that people know, <laughs> David Goggins' famous book and all the other work that David David does, um, Scribe, of which Javon is the CEO of, is the publisher uh, of what was it? Is this the number one? He, uh, so, yeah. So David David Goggins had uh, one of the best selling memoirs of of all time. Um, it, Michelle Obama's got him beat. You know, not bad company right okay. there. Number so. two, that is not. Yeah. <laughs> Bad. Okay. Let's just talk about your recent book also. So Modern Leader. Give us the, the, the skinny on, on what it's about because you we didn't even scratch the surface on the culture that you built at Scribe, but tell us about Modern Leader. So really where the book came from, I, I have had the incredibly the, the incredible blessing and gift to to come from the background that, that I come from. I, I don't see it as a, as a negative, you know, so, someone like just yesterday I, I was uh, speaking and someone said to me, oh man, you, you had every reason to fail. You know, if people would have completely understood if, if you uh, went to prison or ended up dead and, you know, and, and no one would have blamed you. And I go, wait a minute. I go, that right there is the problem with the thinking that, that we uh, put on ourselves. I had every reason to succeed because if you can get through that shit, the rest of this stuff's pretty damn easy. Wow. I said, so, and then I said, and in fact, great. No one else may have blamed me if I would have ended up in prison or, or dead. I go, but I would have blamed me because it's up to me to do it different. It's up to me to be successful. So I would have blamed me and that's all that matters. And, and so I go, no, you're looking at that wrong. I had every reason to succeed. I love that. I love that statement. I literally just wrote it down. That, that's so great. So keep going, please. And so, so really what this came from is, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll dive into it uh, again. I'm 50. So in the early nineties, I was, you know, new in my career and at the time, I was the mailboy. I was a file clerk, and and I wanted more. So I put my little resume together, and you know, this is back before you could just uh, upload your resume. Like you went out and you were cold calling, dropping off resumes, uh, and so I, I couldn't get a call back. I couldn't get an appointment. I couldn't get an invite. And one day, a, a nice white guy picks up the phone and he says, "Hey, how'd you get a black first name and an Irish last name?" 
Well, my last name, McCormick, my mom got it in the orphanage. I have my mom's last name. She was raised in the orphanage. We have no clue where, why, how we got this last name. Couldn't tell you. So when he said that, I was like, holy shit, my last name's Irish. And, and I was so excited. <laughs> and, and that was the celebration for me. But then when I hung up, I was like, oh, they're seeing Javon. So in that moment, I said, okay, my full name is Javon Thomas McCormick. I said, I'm going to go by JT McCormick because you won't know who that guy is. Man, the next week, David, the next week blew up appointments, calendar invites, callbacks. And I'm like, wow. Now it was bittersweet. Sweet. Ah, I cracked the playbook. I figured out how to get in. Yeah, but the fact that that's the playbook. Oh, bitter, yes. More so bitter. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Bitter. I had to edit myself to quote unquote get oh, in. I can't tell you how many interviews I showed up in and people were like, oh, J JT? And I was like, yeah. Oh, well, you're not who we expected. And I'm like, well, who'd you expect? And, and so what's, the, what's key to that is all the way up to the George Floyd murder, I went by JT McCormick. And so I built my entire career on JT McCormick. And then the George Floyd murder happened. And man, I saw some of the most disgusting uh, virtue signaling shit going on out there. You you had people uh, blackout Tuesday on social media. What, what, would, what does that do to help advance or, or move forward? Nothing. And, and you, they, you and I both know. I, I know exactly. What people mean. were doing it just so they didn't get called out. And, right. and so... Uh, then we were arguing over a syrup bottle, a syrup bottle. I'm like, what does this do? But one piece caught me. At the time, there were only three black Fortune 500 CEOs. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. So I went and looked up their names. Kenneth Frazier, Marvin Ellison, Roger Ferguson, and as a bonus, the wealthiest black man in America is named Robert Smith. So I looked at it and I smiled and I go, mm. these are not black names. Yeah, I was like four very ethnic free names, if you will. <laughs> and so I was like, ah, and to your point, okay, you know, I'm not a fortune 500 CEO, but you know, we've been named the number one company culture in America. We've been number one place to work in Austin, number two in Texas. I have had the incredible blessing, got named uh, best CEO in Austin. And then, um, I'll share this with you. A month ago, I was named Entrepreneur in the of the Year by Ernst and Young, and who knew that would ever uh, happen? But so, so what I realized was like, okay, I'm not a Fortune 500 CEO, but I, I've done you know I've done a couple things, and I said I'm going to reclaim my name. I'm going to go by Javon, and and I and I didn't do it for me because my career had been built as JT. I actually did it because I wanted every. Martavius, mm -hmm. Laquanda, Ravante, Jesus, uh, Rosalia, who who have these quote unquote ethnic names that that I know get passed over at times because of their name. I wanted them to see, and, and and maybe one day when you enter the business world, you can work next to a Javon and not just a JT. And, and, and Javon, when you started telling people that you work with family, etc., hey. I'm I'm back to Javon. Were people like what, or were they like congrats? What was what was reactions? 
you know, when I explain why and I explain the story and everything, people are like, oh, that's amazing. You know, it, it was very well received. You know, I still get people because they, they knew me as JT. Uh, they'll get they'll call me JT. I'm like, man, I'll, I'll answer anything. Just don't call me broke. You know, it's just that <laughs> it's um, but but it, it's it, it was well received. A, a lot of people were were very supported, uh, supportive by it. Um, you know, it, it, it's sad in many ways because I, I don't overlook the fact that what made the transition a bit easier is the success I've had. Right, in you're the business. boss. So, right. You know. So, but, but again, I, I did it because here's, here's the key. And, and this is all, uh, all of us. This is whatever we're not changing, we're choosing. And so I was choosing to still be part of the broken playbook by going by JT. So if you want to bring change, then you have to change because if you don't, you're choosing. And so I live by that. Whatever we're not changing, we're choosing. And so that's that's really, you know, uh, that's not all of modern leader, but modern leader for me was in business, we've operated in this broken playbook, if you will. It's a very exclusionary playbook that if you did not fit the parameters and you didn't know the rules of the playbook, you weren't getting in. And, and people are shocked when I share this with them. The Fortune 500 uh, here in the United States, the, the 500 biggest companies in America, we started tracking that in 1955. You did not get a black CEO to show up on that list until 1987. Was it Kenshin? Who was it? He was the CEO of TIAA Cref, is who he was. Um, And he was the first black CEO on the list. Unbelievable. What's mind blowing since then, there's only been 13. And, And so. It, uh, again, it, you know, we go back to the the, the names and in and, and the playbook and in the the language and and can you fit in? Do you know how to uh, navigate corporate America in, in the playbook? And, and again, think about this: a, a two year old who comes from the communities that that I grew up in. By the age of two, that two year old has been exposed to two thousand words. Take my children. And, and how they've grown up by the age of two, they've been exposed to 30,000 words. Wow. So you're born into a playbook, if, if you will. So, so here, here's the thing. How am I supposed to get in when I don't even know the rules of, of the game, the, the language to speak? And, and, you know, so many people say, well, if the playbook is so broken, why did we run it so long? And I am convinced that here's my answer. I said, because well, I don't think we ran it. I think other people ran it that looked differently uh, than you. Well, and, and that's what I said. I, I am convinced that the people who created the playbook are also the same people who created the phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. Because for years, it served a certain group of people who fit the playbook model. And so why would you need to change that? And and But now you're starting to see Okay, it's it's fractured. The pay the playbook it, you got to shred it, and and so you're starting to see what what I call uh, a lot of fake playbook leaders 
um, floundering because th- th- guess what? They, they didn't write any pages for what's going on right now. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, for one, am, am, I read a little bit about Modern Leader and I really want to read more. Where is it right now? Oh, okay. man. So, th- so get this. Totally caught us off guard. And, 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 you know, this is what we do for a living. So the book came out. It sold out on Amazon day one. What? And what, it, when did it come out? What day? What, what uh, month? July third. Okay. Hit uh, number three on Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Woo! And yeah. so, That's yeah, so great. Completely... So, are you getting are you getting people reaching out to you to like I don't know what's 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 happened from that? Uh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's really turned into people want me to speak on, you know, modern leadership, but then right. they're, they're also intrigued with the background because the book right. is, is my, my background is weaved throughout the book. Of course. On, on my views of, of, uh, bus- the business world and leadership and, and how we serve and support people. So yeah, I, I would say the, the book definitely, you know, I, I always had a healthy amount of people calling us for, right. uh, but it's, it's really, engagement. It's yeah, the, the book just really, I mean, there's people calling that that we're literally having to ask, how did you hear about about, right. about us? How did you hear about Javon? And because I, I'm shocked at some of the people who who have called. That's exciting. I mean, that's really exciting. Talk about creating opportunity for yourself. Um, I always ask a series of kind of rapid fire questions, but I'm not going to ask them all. I'm going to ask only with one last question at the end, which is what I really always end with, which is... Um, You've already had so much of an impact in the 50 years. You, you're only not even halfway done because you're you, with your health, you're going to be at well over 100, right? Um, what do you want to be known for in this lifetime over the next 50 years? Love to, love to really unpack that and, and con- conclude with that. Uh, of course, for me, I, I want to be one of the greatest uh, humans, one of the greatest men, one of the greatest husbands, fathers leaders, CEOs that, that I can possibly be. And I, I'm in a position in life where I'm, I'm literally working at, in those, those arenas and, and doing my part. What hit me when I turned 50, though, and especially with the name change and where we are in society and everything that's going on, you know, from, from uh, diversity and, and all these different angles is God has blessed me with an incredible backstory roadmap, if you will. I I am the complete opposite of the playbook. I I didn't go to college. I didn't come from a two-parent home. Hell, my parents weren't even married. Um, and, And so everything about me is the opposite of the playbook. And so what I've realized is I now have this deep, responsibility, not obligation, mm. responsibility. Because you're choosing. Because I choose it, it, to teach, coach, and mentor others into, hey, here's what's possible. But not not just people from where I come from, also people who come from upper uh, middle class families who ran the playbook because they don't even know folks like me exist. You know, if, if, and I tell people this all the time, corporate America is not 100% racism going on. And, and people are like, what? How can you, how can you say that? I go, don't get me wrong. Whole lot of racism running through corporate America in the business world. However, one cannot say that this is racist, what I'm about to, to share with you. If my name is Blake Wesley 
and I come from a two-parent home, upper middle class, and I get to go to all the great schools and our family summers in Maine during the, the, the summer. And I'm part of a fraternity at, at a school. And now I've got my, my boys, Steve and, and Jeff. And so Blake, Leslie graduates college. I get my MBA and, and I work my way up. And now I'm the CEO of, of a big company. And now I'm tasked with surrounding myself with my executive team. Well, immediately I'm going to say, oh, my, my, my boy, Steve, Steve's a CFO over at XYZ. Let me call him up. Hey, Steve. Uh, hey, man, I got promoted. CEO, what's up? You know, hey, I need a CFO. You, you want to get on the team? Steve's like, hell yeah. And then Steve's like, hey, you remember Jeff? Jeff's EVP of operations over at XYZ. Man, call Jeff. So here's what just happened. There was no race involved there. I'm calling the people that I'm most comfortable with, that I grew up with, that I'm going to surround myself with because we all know each other and come from the same backgrounds. No one's calling Javon, who's the son of a pimp who had 23 kids with a GED that was in juvenile prison. That's not racism. That's called, these are the people I'm most comfortable with. And we as humans tend to surround ourselves with the people who are most like us. What's got to happen is people who have this privilege, and, and this is key, we've weaponized the word privilege in this damn country. Privilege is only a negative if you don't use it to elevate others. Mm. I have a deep privilege given where I come from, what I now know, what I understand, what I've navigated, that is a massive privilege. And I will argue with most people, my privilege is actually greater than the person who comes from the two-parent upper-class middle home because what I know about this country from the bottom to the top, they don't know. And so privilege is not a negative. It's only a negative if you don't use your privilege to elevate others. I have a deep responsibility to help elevate others. Wow. You have elevated so many people in your time. I am just like excited for the third book and the fourth book and the movie. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm just excited to see where the, where you take the, I was going to say where the world takes you, but no, where you take the world. <laughs> right? Over the next 50 plus years. And uh, thank you so much for being on Keep Connected. I feel connected to you. And uh, I know so many of our listeners do as well. So thank you. Oh, my man, I appreciate it. This is great. Thank you, sir. Well, this was an episode that definitely should have a part two, because we barely scratched the surface on all the things that, that Javon has to teach us and that I wanted to talk to him about. So one of those things was his definition of success, focusing on health, happiness, wealth, and the fact that success is not about other people's measurements, but really about how you set your own standard for success. You create your happiness. You make your choices. You can think big. You can think small. So think big. If you enjoyed today's podcast, then please subscribe so you can keep hearing other episodes as well. And remember, let's keep connected because life better together. David Siegel here, your favorite podcast host. I have something important to share. Check out my new book, Decide and Conquer, to really get to know my story at Meetup. You know, the hardest thing about community leadership is making tough decisions when the stakes are high. And I'll tell you, they were never higher 
than when Meetup was owned and sold by WeWork. In my new book, Decide and Conquer, I'll walk you through a counterintuitive framework for decision-making and the epic journey of Meetup's surprising survival. Good leaders deliberate, great leaders decide. Order my book today by visiting decideandconquerbook.com or anywhere books are sold. Think you'll like it.